Welcome to part two of the two-part special of the CNR Sports Armchair Interviews. My guest once again is Jay Hook. Welcome back, Jay. Thank you, Colin. Uh, just to provide a refresher on uh, last week's episode for um, those of you who listened, uh, we covered uh, Jay's time with Cincinnati and we started in some of his time with the Mets. Um, as you know, he has the distinction of being the starting pitcher for the Mets when he beat the Pirates 9-1. to one. He uh, <clears throat> surrendered only five hits in nine <clears throat> innings, uh, <clears throat> one run and issuing a walk. He drove in two of his team's runs. Um, after, after retiring from baseball, uh, Jay went ahead and started work in the automotive industry and you retired from full-time work in 1992. Uh, welcome back. Let's get started. Thank you, Colin. <clears throat> so I met you touched on some of the time at the uh, Mets and I noticed one of your teammates that first year in New York, um, was the legendary Gil Hodges. He was only <clears throat> recently inducted in the Hall of Fame nearly uh, 50 years after he stopped playing. Um, what do you think took so long for him to get inducted <clears throat> in spite of all of his statistics? Colin, I, I was amazed when I, the Mets, the Mets, one of the fellows, one of the vice presidents at the Mets is a guy, Jay Horowitz, who is a, a guy I've spoken to a lot of times and uh, he called to tell me about Gil and I said, wow, I thought he was elected to the hall of fame years ago, but he hadn't been. And he was a player when I was there, but then he went on to manage the Mets and uh, I think to their first world series, which was 69, I think. Yeah. And, um, it, but what a terrific guy he was. And he, he was a great player. He had a great history before the Mets. And he had a great history with the Mets. It, it, I just was amazed that he hadn't been inducted a lot sooner than that. Well, yeah, especially not only looking at his resume and what he did as a player, but the fact is that he was able to take a what was still a relatively young Mets franchise at that point in beat the mighty and powerful Baltimore Royals who had that old teammate of yours, Frank Robinson, among other other big studs they had in their lineup that year with the legendary Weaver. Yeah, yep. I just, uh, I, I was just, and I thought, I felt bad for his family, you know, because I think he had passed away at pretty much at pretty much that time. And I, I, I felt very happy for the family, but I was disappointed it took so long. A lot of people were very happy. Um, folks, I think were afraid that it was never gonna <clears throat> gonna happen at some point. But fortunately it did. Um so we talked a little bit about uh, that game versus Pittsburgh. Um that you get asked a lot about. Is there anything else that you sort of remember most? Uh, for context. For people listening, this is a pirate team that had been <clears throat> the Yankees in 60. 
So this is two years removed from that situation. Probably the most, one of the things that gets, has been asked about the number of times Colin is, after the game, Casey Stengel said to me, the writers are going to want to talk to you. So take as much time as they want. And, you know, we'll, we'll hold the plane, whatever we have to do to accomplish that. Because we were flying, some, I think, to Cincinnati or somewhere after the game. Right. And, and, and so I talked to him for quite a while. And they kept asking a lot of questions and different things. And, and uh, I finally, when, when they gave up, and at that time, you have to realize that there were a lot of, lot of newspapers in New York. Right. And, you know, it's much different now, I think. But there were a lot of the, the Long Island papers and New Jersey papers and New York papers. And so we had probably 10 writers or something like that that traveled with us. And by the time they finished asking me questions, I, all the players had gotten dressed and gone out to the bus probably, but I, I was going to take a shower and I went to take a shower and there was no more hot water at the stadium. It was cold. And so, so I went in the, where the trainers were because there was a whirlpool in there and I jumped in the whirlpool and I took a bath. Whirlpool. <laughs> you took a whirlpool bath. Oh, oh, and man. Then, and then I got dressed and went out to the bus. You know, but but it was it was kind of a memorable evening because it, not only the game, but having to take a shower in the bathtub in the, the hot tub. Shower, <laughs> shower in the hot tub. Oh man, just you know it's. Stories like that, that, you know, part of, part of why I, I do these interviews, because you, you never know what's going to come up. Um, and speaking of Casey Stengel, um, what was it like playing for such a legend? You know, he had worked with those great Yankee teams throughout the 50s, you know, the Mickey Mantles of the world. What was it like to sort of be on the ground floor with him as you? You will, you know, he's legendary for all his sayings and his <laughs> syntax. And well, I, I, I really appreciated Casey's thing, though. I, I liked him a lot. And, and he, uh, in spring training that first year, my wife came down and we had two little kids, Wes and Marcy. And this was before Matt <laughs> was born. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but we, Whenever we'd go out or go somewhere, um, Joanne would dress the kids up pretty nicely and we'd go out to a restaurant or whatever. If Casey, Casey was married to Edna Stengel and she had been a silent movie star and, and, and they never had any children. And, and so when we'd go to, he'd see the kids there and he'd come over and he'd take the kids and he'd say, come on over and sit with, with Edna and me. And so the two kids would go, would go sit with Casey and Edna. And, and so they got to know him fairly well. And we, we liked him a lot. And we liked Edna Stingle a lot, too. And, and anyway, a, a funny story was I got elected as player rep of the Mets, which is like a you know, labor relations job. Yeah, yeah, labor relations guy, exactly. And so I was player rep of the Mets, and we got back to New York, 
and and a number of the players had never lived in New York, but some of them had, you know, some of the guys that had been with the Dodgers or the Giants, they knew all about getting a place to live and all that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know much about finding a place to live. And, and so I thought, well, I'll go to the sportscasters, Lindsey Nelson and Bob Murphy and, and, and ask them to announce that we're, some of the players are looking for housing. Well, they did. And people started to call in and, and, and the, the operators at the park wouldn't take the calls. And, and so, so I, I thought, well, I don't want to make it a do. And so I went into Casey and I said, Casey, I don't want to be a pain, but if I don't have a place for my family to live, when we go on the next road trip, I'm not going. And Manny hit the ceiling. <laughs> he said, now don't tell me why I'm going to have problems with you and your kids. Uh, and, and I, I admit I had done it wrong. I should have gone to the management of the Mets and asked them if they would ask the operators to take the calls, you know, well, well, right. he did it the right, he did it the right way and, and talked to management and they got the people by the end of that day, we, we, we had like 80 places to look at, you know, so it worked uh, out great. So, but, so, but, Casey, you know, the thing, Colin, that was so great about Casey and, you know, when they talk about the amazing Mets and the, the, the fans that love the Mets so much and all that sort of thing, it really, I learned a lot about taking care of your customers. And, and Casey was right at the top of the list in doing that. He mm-hmm. knew that the, the way to get to the people in New York were through the sports writers at that time. And he would call them into his office. He would get them a beer or get them a Coke or whatever they wanted. And as I mentioned before, they were a lot of writers then. And, and he would tell them old stories. He'd, he'd talk about the game, of course, but, but he'd make fun of different things. And he made, he made that, their job interesting and he made it easier because by the time they left his office, they had 12 or 13 inches of column filled. You know, wow, so, yeah. so they had, you know, he, he helped them with their job really. And, and, you know, I, I learned a lesson about customer satisfaction and, and how to treat your customers that helped me through all my time after baseball, because at, at the companies I worked at, and then at, at, I was a professor at Northwestern for a while and dealing with students and, with the church, how do you take care of people going to the church? And, 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 you know, I really attribute a lot of my learning in customer satisfaction to Casey Stengel. Well, that, that's very cool um, that you were able to get a front row seat to that and had such a, such a big impact on the rest of your life as a whole. Um, Over the summer, you had the opportunity to participate in the Mets 60th anniversary celebration uh, during which you got to throw out the first pitch of the actual game to Mike Piazza and play in the old timers game. Uh, what, for you, what was the best part of that experience? <laughs> the, the 28 kids, the family members that went to New York with us. <laughs> they, a number of them like, like, your friend Matthew and, and Hunter and Graham and 
Jillian and they, they didn't know anything about what it was like playing baseball. And so they were all there. And Matt, Jama, our daughter, uh, said, Dad, I think, I think one of the family members should be out on the field with you just because I'd had a, a little problem, health problem. And, and they, they thought, you know, there should be somebody with me in the locker room and out. And, and so, so I asked Matt if he would do that. And he said, oh, yeah, he would. So he, they all had shirts. They all had Mets shirts on, Mets hats. And, and Matt had that, too. And he was out on the field the whole time when I was out there and in the dugout, talking to the other players and everything. So it was a great, it was a fun experience for, for our kids. But there were, I think, four players still alive that were there and, and uh, from the original Mets. And so it was fun to see them. But I have to tell you, Colin, that they called me about three months before that game was going to be held and ask if I could play in the old timers game. And I said, I, I don't think I can play in the old timers game because I've got two artificial knee, two artificial hips and artificial knee, I, you know, and, and I just didn't think I could. And they said, well, but we want you to throw the first pitch out for the regular game. Can you do that? I said, well, I'll, I'll practice for three months to be able to throw a first pitch. <laughs> So all summer before that, we went to New York, I went to physical therapy, I like three times a week, and I would get somebody to play catch with me, one of the grandkids or one of the other people, just so that I could throw one pitch to Mike Piazza, <laughs> which I did, but I didn't play in the old timers game. But uh, that's, that's amazing, Jay, uh, that you were able to do that be able to share that um with with such um with uh, your family and all your grandkids several some of which i know um and good friends with um that that probably was the highlight of the year for uh a lot of a lot of people well um, it was you know yeah. it, and one of the one of the blessings was that Frank Thomas came to that, that old timers game and, and he's passed away since then though. So he's gone, but uh, you know, so there are only just, you know, there's only a few of us left that played, you know, for the original Mets and are still alive. I'm 86 now. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking. I was talking to Matt the other, the other uh, last I saw him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Frank." He was like, "Oh yeah, Frank Thomas was one of one of my dad's good friends." So that that, and he and he also showed me a picture. He's one of a handful of guys to have hit four home runs in a row in the same game, like 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 back to back to back back. <laughs> right with with all of his teammates there you know eddie matthews hank aaron adcock he showed me mm -hmm. the picture and mm. I, you know he he i i learned an interesting thing about him on, on this trip i didn't know that he had considered becoming a priest at one time 
And and so he, he was, you know, a pretty religious person. And I wasn't aware of that until this trip. Oh, well, that's fascinating. You see, you never, you never can stop learning about the friends that you're closest with, folks. That's that's the big thing to take away from here. I'm I'm curious though, Jay. Um, I know you I know you're old school, but what are your feelings on the sort of designated hitter? It's crossed over into the National League now, and is is universal. So I'm just curious your your thoughts on it from your point. Well, of view. I you know I I I can see probably why. I think in baseball, you know, the fans like to see hitting. <laughs> And, but I, I, I don't know. I, I always felt it was part of the game that the pitchers would hit, have to hit. So, you know, we worked at it and, you know, an awful lot of those pitchers when they were in high school or college or, or semi-pro ball or whatever they played before they got into major league baseball were, were decent hitters. And they just don't do it and don't focus on it as much as they did their pitching. But I, I don't know. I, I always thought it was kind of part of the game. Right. Right. There's uh, the only other guy asked this question happened to be my cousin. And he, uh, he, he sort of thinks it has to be part of the game as well. Um, One other question I got for you Jays if you could invite uh, like anybody from history whether it be your, your own history or just historical figures in general to have dinner with who would you choose hmm. very interesting question you know, you're, you're speaking of someone from baseball it can be pretty much from from any sort of area of life really baseball you know i've had the opportunity to speak to so many different really interesting people i um the guy that was the head of the the uh, engineering department of northwestern was just a terrific guy jerry cohen is his name was his name and and i i ended up going over there to become a professor uh, and work with him but you know there there are so many terrific, outstanding people that do so many interesting things, Colin. And, you know, and it could be in religion, it could be at church, it could be at work, it could be at school, it could be talking to you, you know, you're, you, you're doing a great job with, you know, with what you're doing. And, and I just, I just think, you know, finding out what other people do is very interesting to me because I like to hear the stories about what, what their life has been. And I know I've had the opportunity to, to meet some people that, that Matt knew. Uh, the guy, when he, he was a preacher, he went to work in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and he, he, the pastor that was the head of that church had been head of the upper room. And then he went down to be the president of Asbury Seminary. And, and then, then that's where Matt went to get his, his doctorate. And I don't know if you've seen what's happening lately on the, 
on the, the <laughs> they're, they're having the a kind of a rebirth at, at Asbury and it's been going on for 10 or 11 days where yeah. people coming from all over the world revisiting, you know, they're, they're, there's just so many interesting people when you find out, you know, more about them and what they do and what they think. And, and it's you you experience that when you do these podcasts and do other things, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, I've, I've, I found out things about, about, about you today here in this interview that I'm just finding out for the first time. So you're always learning. Um, in terms of, you have interesting thoughts when it comes to the quality of play at Major League Baseball, you know, with the, um, there's 30 teams now, which is way bigger, um, than it was when you first broke in. I'm curious about your thoughts about the quality of play in, in baseball. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's as good or maybe even better. I, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny experience I had just about uh, four months ago. After we got back from New York, from the, the trip you've, you've mentioned here, uh, I was sitting in a little restaurant in Maple City, Michigan, which is right near our farm. And, and we were talking about going to New York. There were a bunch of guys with me and and then Marcy, our daughter, was, was, came in to show them pictures from that trip. And she was sitting with a friend of hers. And I went over to talk to Marcy when I was leaving the restaurant. And this guy was sitting at a table next to where Marcy was with his wife. And he said, what are you guys all talking about? And we said, well, we're talking about, about, about this trip to New York that we had. Because they told him I used to play professional baseball. And he said, he said, well, that's interesting. I, I asked him if he was from this area. And he said, no, I'm from Champaign, Illinois. And, and we're just visiting up here, but we came in here for breakfast. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm in the physics department. I'm a professor there. But I do, I do consulting for Major League Baseball. I, no way. I've done I'm under contract to do a lot of different things. Like when Mickey Mantle hit his long home run, they they asked me to come and, you know, figure out what the trajectory of the ball was and how far it went and all that sort of thing. And, and I thought, where in the world, how do those things happen? That you meet somebody that's got such an interesting background and he, for 20 or 25 years, he's been a consultant to major league baseball. And you know how every team now has these, these technical people that work in the, in their but that study spin rates and study right you yeah. know, all this different stuff that they're doing, and he knows all those people, you know. And I thought, how in the world would we ever run into a person like this that knows something like that? <laughs> it's crazy the amount of statistics that they have today, and you know, just like with all the analytics, you know, there's this big there's this big sort of push, push pull debate, you know, like how much do you rely on analytics versus going, you know, what they call sort of by feel, you know, sort of old school, if you will. Um, yeah, it, it really is amazing. Um, it's a, it's know. a different world and, and, you know, the stuff that they're doing, 
I, when I was in baseball, I tell you a quick story about a guy wrote an article for the New York Times. And I was, I was studying in the field of, it was at the time of Sputnik, Russian Sputnik, which was a, a ball, a satellite, right. but it was a round satellite. And it was coming into the atmosphere. And, and when I was over at Northwestern working on a master's degree, we were, we were talking about the high speed flow of air over different shaped vehicles, the same thing. And the guys said, well, let's work out why a curveball curves. And so we did. And, and I went to spring training and, and one of the guys asked me something about that. And I gave him a couple lines. Well, anyway, we got back to New York and a guy by the name of Bob Lipsight, a writer with the New York Times, came to me one day and there was a rained out game. And, and he said, Jay, he said, I got 13 inches of column to fill for tomorrow. He said, explain to me why a curveball curves. So I got a pen, paper and pencil and I drew a ball and a boundary layer built up and the angular velocities and the linear velocities and wrote down Bernoulli's law. And I said, well, you know, this is how it works. This is what the, the theory is on the spin rates and all that. He, he went to the to head of the Columbia University Physics Department to check out what I said. And I, the guy said, yeah, that's right. Well, he won a hundred bucks for best article of the month in the New York Times. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what this guy at, at Illinois is doing. You know, he, he knows all that stuff. He's worked on all that kind of stuff, you know. And it, but Casey Stengel had a great line for, for that. About a few games later, when I got knocked out of the, the game in about the fourth or fifth inning, I went in and took a shower. And that Bob Lipsight came in and we were talking and Casey walked over and he said, and, you know, if Hook could only do what he knows, he'd be much better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, you got to love a guy like like that. You know, like you're tucking in stride. and Oh, it's, oh, it's great. <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, we, got, we got time for one more question here, Jay. Um, who, who was the hardest throwing pitcher you ever saw or you faced against? You mentioned Sandy Koufax, but does anybody else come to mind? Yeah, Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson pitched for, the I think, St. Louis. He could throw really hard. <laughs> and he was a good hitter, too. Oh, yeah. And he is a very intimidating guy, you know, had that, had that stare at you. And, you know, he was... <laughs> I wasn't afraid to rush hitters back. I know from what I've, what I've read, you know? Yeah, he did. But you know, that was the, I, that, that was the thing Casey Stengel had, had uh, he knocked me on was I didn't like to throw it guys. I didn't like to brush them back. And he, he said, if I pitched like Sal Magley, I'd have been much better off because I had to brush guys back or knock them down <laughs> When I was in high school, I accidentally hit a kid in the head and he put him in this, the hospital for six weeks with a fractured skull. And it just, you know, I just never wanted that to happen again. Right, right, right. You know, some guys operate differently, but uh, um, you got you to gotta stay safe when you're out there on the field. That's, <laughs> that's the important thing. Uh, 
So thanks again for joining me, Jay. It's great having you on. This has been the CNR Sports Armchair Interview Show. Uh, join me, Colin Northrop, next time as we continue with episode two of the Coaches Series. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey, thanks, Colin. Say hello to your dad. Will do. Okay. Bye.